Once again, it's time for the mystery box kite hour. The vast symbolic box kite flies over the desiccated countryside, searching out its victim. Doesn't it sound like an exciting show? Wouldn't you love to hear that one, huh? The mystery box kite that attacks at night. Which reminds me, we have a show to do. Mystery box kite hour, which attacks at night. I will now award a brass figligy with bronze, oak leaf palm to any listener who can tell me what country this song represents. A little echo chamber, please. I'll take you home again, Kathleen. That's right. There's no substitute for talent. I'll take you home again, Kathleen. Who, uh, what, what uh, country does that represent? The we will award a brass fig the geek with bronze oak leaf palm. What, Australia, for God's sakes. Boy, are you reaching. <laughs> Australia. You might as well have said Greenland. I'll take you home again, Kathleen. That's right. Except you're wrong. Every every loudmouthed Irish tenor sings that, right? So it's assumed by every other loudmouth that uh, this obviously is an Irish song, right? All right, I'm not even going to tell you where it came from. You'd be astounded and sickened. Uh, I'll take you home again, oh, Kathleen. Uh, well, before we go any further, excuse me one minute here. Uh, since it's early in the week, we would like to, uh, one, two, three, four, just a minute. I've got it here. Let's put it this way. I had it here. Oh, for God's sakes. Every time I turn around, somebody steals my material. Oh, yeah. Would you believe it? I, I did a show. Uh, you think I'm kidding? The other night I did a show uh, in a town which uh, is not New York. Let's put it this way. It's Boston. And uh, there were three other comics on the show. Me and uh, and uh, my old friend Sandy Barron, was an old buddy of mine, and Henry Morgan. And after I finished my bit, Morgan announced to three people at the same table he was with, Shepard's bit was great, and I'm going to use it in my act from now on. I don't give a damn what he says. So if you hear Henry Morgan doing something that you think you heard Shepard do, you know where you heard it first. And let's put it this way, it's about the Preparation H man. My favorite television character. I love to see him come on the air there. Looks like a defrocked Methodist minister. A certain religious aspect to that product. Now, uh, may I uh, please, uh, before we go any further, I would like to, may I please, uh, I would uh, like to salute uh, the criminal sorehead loser of the week. Please, give me that. uh... Right, that's good. A man who set fire. This is in uh, Greenock, Scotland. You think that the Scots are tough? A man who set fire to his father's house told the police that he did it because, get ready with that little thing in there, his father and his brother had beaten him soundly at dominoes. All right, you blew that one. That's right. That's what happens when you get that bagpipe stuck in your foot. I'll dream of two, 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 Kathleen. No, I'm keeping this here for my own uh, use here. I never, you never know. Here's a name of a bank. It was sent to me. Actually, it's the name of a 
Yeah, it's a bank. Uh, it's a bank that uh, is selling money cheap. You know, banks are really up against it, man. They're trying to get customers in the worst possible way. In fact, uh, this bank that I go to uh, now resembles Corvettes more than it resembles a bank. Oh, yeah, they have uh, mix masters. They have uh, uh, lawnmowers and washing machines. I come in there and I have to walk all around the clerks in there to find a teller. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're my, the, the bank I go to now turns out a summer and winter and fall catalog of uh, merchandise available, if you'd be so kind as to cross their palms with silver. Oh, yeah, they're out there plugging. And there's a bank in Rocky Point, North Carolina, that I think uh, this could be a spreading thing. The Wachovia Bank and Trust Company just recently uh, took $10,000, and they sold it in $100 blocks to anybody who wanted to come in and buy it. You could buy $100 from them, nice new bills, for 90 bucks a piece. And I might say they had one hell of a fantastic run on it, but people were there crowding. I mean, you got a good product at a decent price. You'll sell it every time. So any of you banks out there wondering how you can get people in there, just start loosening up the dough there. I'd love it if Irving Trust had a big sign. You know, one cent sale today only. <laughs> Speaking of one cent sales, if you... Uh, just to give you an idea how different it is in various parts of the country that you may not live in. Those of you who uh, live here, you don't know what the country is like out there. I like to visit the States once in a while. I, I, uh, I you know, I get, get in the car and I go through the Holland Tunnel. And the minute I get out there, you know, and I say, my God, this is a fantastic country. I like to visit the States. And uh, I, I, I would like to... Uh, I'd like to point out that uh, if you went into Tulsa recently, this is one of our spies who keeps, uh, you know, spying on what's going on in the country out there for you. You just don't hear this kind of stuff on the Mike Douglas show. If you were in Tulsa recently, mm-hmm, yep, if you, uh, they had a big ad in the paper, full-page ad in the paper, spy reports, if you bought a Singer sewing machine, in fact, right now, it's a sales going on, if you buy a Singer sewing machine in Tulsa, Quote, for just one penny more, you get a free double-barrel, over-and-under, 12-gauge pump gun shotgun. For one penny more. That shows you what kind of ladies they got in Tulsa. Thank God you get the, uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> you get your husband on a wing shot when he's going over to Privet Hedge. That's a feat. I, I, uh, I saw a lady one time, she used a 410, too, which is even better. You know 410 is a very small shotgun. Over under 12. There's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of artillery. Boom, you know. Boy, you'll bring down a duck at seven miles with that baby. I'll tell you, a big duck. <laughs> One of those 40 pounders. Boom, you know. Zap. But I kind of like the, the connection there between sewing machines and uh, pump guns. It's a nice connection. And uh, my spy signed it. It says, uh, yours in better sewing and shooting. That's right. <laughs> she knows what it's about. It's a lady spy. Uh, so, yeah, they're the best kind, uh, actually. And uh, I'd like to report that uh, I'm, uh, I'm doing a study now. Uh, any of you people out there would like to help me on my study. Uh, you know, I rely a great deal on, uh, on the hoi ploi. You know, vox populi. Uh, let's say uh, the lumpen proletariat. That's even a better phrase. <laughs> the lumpen proletariat. That's a great phrase. We don't have anything like that in our language. You know what lumpen proletariat means? 
Well, to me, just like what it sounds like, lumpen proletariat. Bunch of slobs walking around in a crowd. That's the lumpen proletariat. I rely on them. They're, they're out there. I, I dig them. And uh, I would like you to assist me in the little thing that I'm doing. And that is this. I am making a study of, uh, of, uh, of dashboard figurines, which I think is a very important uh, new development of personal expression in our time. And uh, yes, it is. This, uh, this uh, lady uh, sent me a magnificent little plastic Uncle Sam which you could put on your dashboard. He's looking mad, I'll tell you. That's a mad Uncle Sam. And he's pointing right at you with a finger. And as you drive along, you know, Uncle Sam's looking right at you and says, Uncle Sam needs you. And strangely enough, I can't figure it out, he's holding in his left hand, interestingly enough, his left hand, this is significant, he's holding a red flag. That sounds to me a little bit like we got a subversive Uncle Sam there. I don't know. At least Uncle Sand has been reading Marx. I can't tell. Not necessarily subversive. <laughs> but uh, there he is, old Uncle Sam, and he attaches to your dashboard with a combination of uh, plastic glued tape or a magnet. If you, and then if you want to be permanent about it, he comes with three little brass screws, and you can really attach them down there, and nobody's going to take your Uncle Sam away from you. If you're that type. Uh, I once rode with a cab driver on 46th Street, Going east. Yeah, we sat there in the, in the traffic for, oh, seven, eight hours. We were down there around 6th Avenue, you know, and, and uh, the town had constipation of crosstown traffic. Nothing was moving. And uh, we're sitting there. It was one solid uh, chunk of tin from, uh, <laughs> from the FDR Drive all the way over to the East River, you know, just one solid chunk of thing there. And uh, we were sitting there. with smoking and steaming. You know how it is. You get talking to the guy in front once in a while, and uh, this guy sitting in front of me, and he had this red neck, and a real tough-looking guy, you know, he had a checkered jacket on, winter and summer, he wore that jacket, that's my jacket, he says, that's all he'd say, I asked him, how come he's wearing a jacket, it's 107, he says, what do you mean, I says, uh, how come you're wearing a jacket, it's 107 degrees, he turned around, he says, what are you, something, are you, an inspector or something, I said, no, I am not an inspector or something, I may be a something, but I'm not an inspector, I wanted to know why you're wearing a jacket. Well, what do you mean? It's my jacket, huh? There's an answer. So I could not, I couldn't argue with that. I mean, it's like it looked like he was sitting in the front seat there wearing a pair of flippers, you know, uh, for scuba diving. I say, how come you wearing a flippers driving a cab? He said, my flippers, huh? What do you, you can't answer that. It's his flippers. You can wear them. So he's wearing a jacket, 120 degrees, sweating like a pig. He's sitting up there, and I said, how come? I looked down his uh, little, you know, you, you ever look at the hack licenses there? Look over there. I saw one guy. Uh, he was in the knockdown trade. You know what knockdown is? You don't know what knockdown trade is? Oh, are you innocent? <laughs> Have you ever noticed, friends, that uh, uh, the instant uh, there is a uh, is a rush hour or there's a, a little touch of rain in the air, amazingly, suddenly, every cab within miles around is off duty. Did you think they were all just rushing down there to have a sandwich? Did you? Oh, no. That's called the knockdown trade. Meaning, he, by putting that light out, he is saying to you, Hello, fella. I'm ready to knock down. You want to get downtown quick? Okay. It's going to cost you five bucks, and we ain't going to put the meter down, right? That's what knockdown means. So all you do is get out on the street and wave a green bill. 
and 35 off-duty cabs will crash into one another, attempting to vie for your trade. Bum, pa dum, bum. Give me a little of that crime music in there, please. Knockdown time in old Manhattan. That'd be that's a name, by the way. Uh, wouldn't it be a great name for a column in the taxi driver's news? <laughs> uh, this is WOR, friends. <laughs> Speaking of rackets, I'll never forget the time I was having this. Uh, let's put it this way: soiree. And uh, I, you have attended several soirees in your time. Let's put it this way. It was a tryst-type soiree. Uh, I hate to ask you this, Arlene, uh, but uh, you're a girl, right? That's right. I, no question. Have you ever attended a tryst? You haven't. Well, if you care for a tryst, I can arrange one. I mean, uh, you... You might as well learn at the top, honey. <laughs> you mess around with some guy working in the garage. I'll show you what they're like. A real twist. Uh, <laughs> real, you know that there's about 7,000 restaurants on the east side of Manhattan whose entire business consists of catering to the tryst trade. You didn't know that, did you, David? Of course, you guys out of Long Island don't know much anyway. I mean, you're not going to get much out there in Babylon. Babylon... The, you know, Babylon's is so sad. Babylon is the poorest named town I know of. There just ain't any Babyloning goes on in Babylon. Not not in the not in the grand manner. There's a little, you know, now and again on the you know back of the garage and that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about the big stuff. You know what Babylon was famous for, don't you? You don't. You, it, where, where's your Bible knowledge? You don't know what Gomorrah did. <laughs> You don't know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, you don't know much, do you? I, I, there's no way I can communicate with you. You know, the tryst world is based largely on Gomorrah. And uh, what the tryst world does, if you care to visit any of these restaurants, is say, you know, you're walking around town, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you're walking along in the west fifth, east 50s or the east uh, 60s, the elegant little neighborhoods there over by 3rd Avenue, and you see these little restaurants, you know, with the little green thing comes out over the, over the sidewalk. Uh, Shepherd's rule of thumb, never but ever go into a restaurant that has a little green canopy over the sidewalk. They will strip you like an ear of corn. They will shuck you, baby. Uh, you, you've seen those little places, you know, it says Pepe's or uh, Pepito's, uh, you know, a place like that. Yeah, well, uh, you walk along there and you see these little dark doors. You can't look into the restaurant, right? It's very dark. Well, uh, you just go drifting into one of these places, and you will see in the corner, as uh, each little dark corner, you will see a little tiny candle guttering over a table of checkered tablecloths. In each corner, you will see two dark figures huddled together, whispering sweet nothings to one another. That's the tryst trade. That's Mr. C.O. Grubbage of the Cost Accounting Department, and... Uh, Peggy from the uh, Steno Pool. <laughs> These names, of course, have been disguised to uh, protect the guilty. Uh, and uh, you don't know about that world? And that's a very expensive, uh, wonderful world. And if you've never... Anyway, I was in this... Uh, you know, I, I, I've, uh, I've had... Let's put it this way. I've indulged. And so... Oh, yes. I've been to the well. So uh, I remember one afternoon, I was having this tryst. Oh, yeah, it was really, really elegant. And uh, 
Oh, yes, uh, and it was, a, it was an elegant girl. Uh, you know the kind that wears a $17, uh, uh, she wears $17 Italian sunglasses, even in the shower, you know that kind? Okay, so uh, we're having this tryst, see, so I said, uh, I call her on the phone, see, uh, the trysts are all arranged on the phone. So I said, uh, I said to Francois, and she says, yes. I said, where? She says, Luigi's. I said, Luigi's? She says, Luigi's. And I said, where is it? And you, you immediately fall into that kind of language when you're having a tryst. And so uh, you know, all, all tryst people have been heavily influenced by early Charles Boyer movies. I'm waiting for a real, a real uh, wave of, of interest in Char I, 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 Charles Boyer movies. Because Charles Boyer movies had a whole style of their own. And uh, there has to be a Charles Boyer retrospective. Oh, très élégant. Uh, yes, Charles Boyer. I remember, I remember he, say, he says, Love is a ball. Don't I do that well? Very well. I'm a talented person. No question about it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Eileen. All right, guys. That's the engineering department. They just throw in that ravening crowd that they keep in the closet. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I am looking forward to the Charles Boyer retrospective. And if, if there was somebody here in town, you know, one of these little elegant cinema-type uh, places, uh, you know, Cinema 26, names like that, Cinema Varati, you know, little things like that, where Pauline Kael goes to relax after a hard day watching MGM rushes. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, there's some people who live their lives entirely vicariously. Oh, yes, Pauline Kael's one. Uh, the only dramatic moments she's had in her life were lived out by Ingrid Bergman and Roberto Rossellini. Uh, she'll never forget that wonderful, wonderful romance at Stromboli, uh, whether she ever had one. And, you know, this is the way it is. It's a vicarious world. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to a, a retrospective of Charles Boyer movies. Oh, yes. Uh, you, uh, he, and, and he ranged all the way from malevolent to unbelievably, uh, fantastically uh, uh, romantic in, in, the true, uh, in the true continental sense. Uh, when was he malevolent? The gaslight. You ever see Gaslight? Oh, he was evil. Who was he married to in Gaslight? <laughs> but my dear, he says, he says such things as this, but my dear, you must rest, you are sick. He was always saying to her, it's it's a, it, it a shame that you are not feeling well. Doesn't that sound nicely? He says, I do not believe you should go out today. Because you are not feeling well. And uh, who was he saying all these things to? And why did they call it gaslight? Gaslight was part of the plot. You mean to tell me you don't know these epical moments in our cultural slob history? <laughs> oh, Charles Boyer. He was down in the cellar. And what was he doing? He was not in the cellar. He was actually in the attic. All right, you want to know what this has to do with my life? Well, I, whenever I have a tryst, I, I'm heavily influenced by Charles Boyer. There's guys that are influenced by David Niven. You know, they go, ha, 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 that kind of uh, uh, elegance, you know. Uh, it's all a game of tennis. Uh, but no, Shepard's uh, tryst world is heavily laced with uh, chartreuse. Mm. You see, you like that, huh? 
Now, most people, uh, most people, uh, if if you're going on a second-rate tryst, you have the green chartreuse. If it's big time, you say to Luigi when you're sitting at your table, he says, "Would you care for a drink, sir?" You say, "Ah, yes, Luigi." Uh, as the usual. And of course, what you have done, you've called them up earlier, see, so he knows what the usual is. That really impresses a chick when you say to her, the usual. And immediately he says, ah, yes, we have your bottle for you. you. They keep your own bottle of golden chartreuse, which is a très elegant uh, portable of uh, exceeding, uh, unbelievable expense. Also makes the fillings of your teeth hurt if you're not careful. You know why? Oh, there is a chartreuse, which is uh, made by the Benedictine, by the monk, right? Of uh, the chartreuse order, right? Correctement? Indeed. And they make this uh, elegant liqueur is made often, uh, for the true connoisseur, is made with finely powdered gold dust as an integral ingredient in this elegant liqueur. And so uh, when the uh, when uh, Luigi brings it to the table, he brings this bottle of golden chartreuse to the table. You've got her in the palm of your hand. It is only then for you to close in for the kill and be sure to keep your line tight because they they occasionally will throw the plug when they jump. <laughs> okay, <laughs> nothing's worse than to get that bassarina right back in your left eye after a perfect cast. Oh, yes, I, I, one time, I went to, you, you learn about life, friends, from fishing. That's why fishing is such a, such a very, very important sport if you wish to learn about life. You will never learn about life going out to aqueduct. You will not. Uh, in fact, uh, my friend Stan Lomax told me, he says, if you want a horse to run slow, th this is Stan Lomax, he says, if you want to, if you want to, he says, you just, uh, just, uh, Give me a tip on him. I'll bet on him, and he will run slow. He said, uh, no matter what. And now, uh, why is this? Well, it's because uh, that's the nature of uh, horse racing. But it has nothing to do with life. Nothing. And I say fishing does. You can make a perfect cast. Like one day, I was, uh, I was casting. And uh, you wish to know what type of uh, fishing I was doing. Uh, learned, uh, you learned uh, shepherd's uh, techniques. All right? I was dry fly casting for early spring smallmouth bass. This is a very elegant uh, type of uh, fishing for bass. One usually does not use a dry fly for a bass, but at a certain time of year, the smallmouth is on the surface, and he will strike a surface fly. I was using a royal coachman. That's a very beautiful fly. And uh, I was laying those casts out, and I laid one right at the edge of a riffle, a little riffle right next to the lily pads. And that smallmouth hit that with an explosion you wouldn't believe. He hit it. A perfect cast. Except for one thing. Three and a half milliseconds later, I have the royal coachman stuck in my left ear. He hit the fly, threw it, it rifled back at me and caught me by the left ear. Twenty minutes later, I'm in the emergency ward of the local hospital and they are removing a royal coachman fly from my left ear. This was the result of a perfect cast, which is why, see, this is why it teaches you about life. You can do everything perfect, and it blows up in your damn face.
<laughs> right? Okay. So uh, I am sitting in this uh, elegant restaurant, Luigi's. You wish to know about that little tryst? Well, I'm there with Francois. And uh, she has come from her office. And uh, all girls named Francois have, uh, have very tough bosses who wear horn-rimmed glasses. And, uh, yes, uh, every guy I know in New York wants a secretary that has either a Swiss accent. That's a very in accent now. A Swiss accent. And uh, girls are now shifted around in various offices depending on their accent. And uh, if you can get a girl with a Swiss accent, you're on the top rung of that old ladder. Now, three years ago, if you had a girl that had an English accent, you were moving up fast. But that's all over now. Girls with English accents are now working in the mail room. And uh, now the Swiss accent is in. And if you can get a girl, this is really elegant. If you can get a girl with a Rhodesian accent, friend, you can name your own ticket. Ticket. You know how a Rhodesian accent sounds? I will uh, get my mind into it, and I will give you a Rhodesian accent. I have given you a Charles Boyer accent, uh, you know, roughly. Uh, Charles Boyer. Uh, Rhodesian accent goes like this. He says, uh, Where you go, sir? Uh, you, you like our country, sir? A Rhodesian. Would you please hit one of our Rhodesian commercials? Well, well uh, you know, I'll tell you, though, seriously, friends. You, you want to hear about that uh, tryst, huh? Oh, okay. Well, I was leaving you hanging there. Uh, I just, uh, just a word of warning. Don't ever... Uh, be careful of uh, where you pick to go to a tryst because it can blow the whole gaff, really. Uh, Luigi's, right? Uh, there is no such restaurant named Luigi's. Uh, this, is a, this is a generic term for Tristville. Uh, <laughs> Luigi. So uh, when you come in, there's all kinds of little things you have to prepare for. Uh, I would advise you, uh, as I say, advise you to call... Uh, before you go down there to have your twist with uh, your Francois uh, to get the head waiter on or the captain, see, and say, uh, hey, this is, uh, my name is uh, Clarence W. Burbage, right? And he's going to say, uh, yes, I suppose this is your name, yes. What can I do for you? You say, well, look, uh, what is your name? He then says uh, something like Enrico. You say, ah, Enrico. Uh, how do you look, Enrico. He says, uh, it's, it's none of your business. You say, well, uh, come on, Enrico. Come on, I'm going to come over there soon. I want to be able to recognize you. Uh, you're the famous Enrico of Luigi's, correct? Ah, correctement. And you say, uh, all right, uh, are you tall and skinny? I am uh, very distinguished. Uh, I will be the man who will meet you at the velvet rope. Ah, yes, I see. You are Enrico? That's your name. Yes, indeed. Say, so, all right, now look, Enrico, my name is Chuck, right? Chuck. Chuck, you can tell me I have this, uh, I have this uh, red plastic rose that I'm wearing in my lapel. It's the one that has the bulb on it, and if you get too close, I'll squeeze it and squirt water on you. But I'm not going to do that to you. See, I do that to all my friends. But you can tell that rose there, it's big. Now, when I come in, I want you to say, Ah, good to see you again, Monsieur Chuck. And at that point, I will say, Ah, Enrico, how is, uh, how is uh, Femina? At which point you will say, ah, très bien. Okay, can you remember them lines? At which point he will say, I have remembered them lines for years. I have said them many times over. Uh, how much is there in it for me? He say, I will slip you a 20. 20. Ah, yes, Monsieur Chuck. At which point 
you are now beginning to make action. You say, now look, uh, you got any, uh, you got any, uh, old bottles around there, uh, like, uh, bottles of liqueur, like you're gonna throw out, like, say, chartreuse. Oh, yes, uh, I will talk to you. your barman. So, well, look, that's awful expensive stuff. If you'll put in a little, uh, fighting cock brandy, now that stuff's about 40 cents a shot down at the White Rose Bar. Now, if you get some fighting cock brandy and put it in there, I would be glad to slip another fin to you. At which point, you will bring that out and you will say to me, we have saved your bottle for you. It is your regular, of course, muscle junk. At that point, I want to lay some fighting cock brandy on this chick. I want to blow the top of her head off, right? <laughs> you see what I'm telling you? <laughs> she will never, she will never admit, she will never admit, you know, when he fills that little thumble, that little tiny thimbleful or maybe a beaker, you know, you, you sniff it like that, see? Isn't that nice? Not many people can do that. I learned how to do that when I was playing with a hillbilly band once. I used to get a lot of laughs that way. Yeah, between courses, I go... And uh, I was playing with Chuck Aikley and his Kalahara cowhands. Yeah, I was playing the bass and singing a little bit, playing bars in Calumet City, Illinois. Oh, I've been around early, and I'll tell you, I ain't your average seat and hall guy. I'll tell you. <laughs> no way. And so, uh, nevertheless, uh, he uh, he comes up to you then, see, and he says, Ah, we have your regular, we have kept your regular bottle for you, Master Chuck. You say, Fine. Uh, just, uh, just, uh, just give me a small, uh, just a small beaker, Enrico. Ah, yes, indeed. At which point he pours a beaker of fighting cock brandy into, by the way, fighting cock brandy is guaranteed to be over seven days old. This is brandy that was aged seven days in stainless steel vats in Corbin, Kentucky by a guy named Luke and another guy named Fred. And they do it in the garage. And that stuff is guaranteed to blast the most deeply held inhibitions right out of the water. Boom! Gone. Now, if Francois has been the playing hanky-panky and the hard to get with you, just one little sip of fighting cock brandy and things begin to change. You will notice immediately a film will form over her eyeballs as she attempts to carry on a reasonable conversation. It's not easy to do that with smoke coming out of your ears. <laughs> of course, Enrico <laughs> has put a little Pepsi-Cola in your glass. <laughs> Within five minutes, you're either, you're either well on your way, or she, if she's a crying drunk, you're in trouble. That has happened to me, too, which all of a sudden she starts crying about somebody named Clarence, at which point you might as well pay the bill and leave. By the way, leave her behind. You know? <laughs> On the other hand, if she looks at you with those eyeballs spinning in opposite directions, and she begins to say things like, I have never known anyone ever like you, well, continue. You're doing the right thing. You're moving in the right direction. I, 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 you see, uh, you realize, of course, that Ovid... You remember Ovid? Uh, he, was, uh, he appears occasionally in New York Times crossword puzzles. He's now uh, in their puzzles is usually a noted poet. <laughs> That's putting him down. Uh, that puts him in the Edgar A. Guest class. 
But uh, Ovid, uh, he, he uh, outlined some rules of love, and I'm outlining some modern rules of love for you. But be careful that you don't make the mistake that I did at Luigi's. Things were going great. When all of a sudden, out of the darkness, three Hungarian fiddle players appeared. And they stood around the table and for two and a half hours played the Blue Danube. And, and you know, you had to keep playing. Have you ever had that happen to you? What do you do when guys are playing a violin over you? You know, and, and, and a Hungarian uh, gypsy violin. You know, gypsy, play your violin. And it's going on, and these guys are crying. They start to cry when they play the violin. And the next thing I know, Francois is crying. She is crying over the Blue Danube. And I said, Francois, why are you crying? She says, oh, it's just so beautiful. And I says, yes, but, uh, but uh, say, fellas, <laughs> yeah, it's very nice. And they started to play louder. They took this as encouragement, and they played Traumerai, which makes the Blue Danube seem like hard, bitten, angry, uh, cynical music. Have you ever heard Traumerai played in an East Side restaurant named Luigi? Well, the girl's got her head down on the table. You don't know what Traumerai is? Why am I so literate and you guys are so dumb? And after that, they went into the Moonlight Sonata. You've heard of that. That's on the 50 great uh, classical clinkers. And, and, and she is, she, her head is down on the table and she is now crying. I said, uh, uh, I says, it's going to be all right, Francois. She says, oh, it's so beautiful. I'm so glad you brought me here. She says, would you please play on? And they're playing on. And I, I, at that point, this has gone on for 25, 30 minutes. I got up and I says, uh, excuse me, Francois. She says, what is, what do you want? I says, excuse me, Francois. I am going to the gentleman's room. And she says, oh, please do not leave me for long. And I said, no, it's all right. I tiptoed out into 52nd Street and headed west back to civilization. As far as I know, Francois is still sitting there in that dark corner, and Enrico and the Hungarian violinists are still entertaining her, waiting for me to come back. That's been three and a half years ago. God only knows. My only rule of thumb is, if you're going to try to make the scene big tonight, stay out of a place where they play violins, or Irish accordions, that's a word of warning, because it can blow the whole evening to smithereens. This is a very subtle thing. Romance, my friends, is an eggshell made of spun fairy crystal glass. Oh, I just invented that. That's uh, kind of nice, isn't it? That's not like your average Seton Hall type talks. I mean, when he's taking Marsha to the drive-in, right? Bring it up there. That ends tonight's salute to the Route 3 drive-in. Uh, my name is Charles Boyer, and love is a boy. hear my uh, fantastic uh, imitation that I do of John Garfield. He does a great deal. He, uh, John Garfield telling Priscilla Lane that he loves her. It's really great. This is W.O.R. in New York.